Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, church. Oh, we got some good mornings back. Okay. Uh, my name is Jason. I am the director of family ministries here. Um, Rick, our lead pastor, is off on an annual trip, and so I'm filling the pulpit today. But I just want to welcome everyone here. If you've never been before, I'd love to connect with you uh, after service. But thank you for thank you for being here, church. So I turned 40 years old on Friday. 40 years old. And my lovely wife, uh, she told me a few weeks before, don't plan anything from Thursday at 3.30 to Saturday at 1.30. I was like, that's really specific. Like, it's a good chunk of time. So she blindfolded me at 3.30 on Thursday. We got in the car. We drove somewhere. I had a general idea of where we were going, the direction. I got really car sick, 30 minutes with a blindfold on in the back seat. Pretty rough. Um, I was like, if I puke, or am I going to ruin this surprise? She's like, no, you'll be fine. So we pull into a parking lot, opens the door. I immediately hear airplanes. Didn't bring my ID, so I knew we weren't going anywhere. So that meant someone was coming to visit. So going to the airport, my buddy Matt, whose wife is due in three weeks, had flown up. And that was the big surprise, was to fly Matt in, who was supposed to be my best man, uh, and Rob and I got married right before the pandemic, so he wasn't able to make it. He got to come up and kind of be the master of ceremonies for my 40th birthday festivities. And so we went out to dinner. Uh, we went to Pint Pot a few blocks from here. Uh, we had a nice dinner. Robin took April home. And Matt and I proceeded to really just kind of talk about life and where we've been. Matt's one of my oldest friends. Uh, we met in college. Essentially, my walk with Jesus is about as old as my friendship with Matt. And so we talked through all of these different landmark things that have happened in our lives and how our lives had intersected at certain points. And we were just talking about growth and where we're at and reflecting on what we had been through. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it looks like to grow in the church. What are those things that bring us into growth as the body of Christ, as the body of Christ. So we're going to open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Uh, if you're not familiar with your Bible, it's in the back third, which is the New Testament. It's about halfway through that. All right, so this is God's word. This is what Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says. And it gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that 
but we know that your word goes out and it, it is effective. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, your word by the power of the Holy Spirit would go out today from this pulpit, Lord. Uh, in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, today's main point is that Christians grow through being in Christ and in the body of Christ, the church. So we're going to do a little context work first. One of my seminary professors, he said there were three roles to hermeneutics, hermeneutics being the interpretation of an understanding of scripture. And those three rules are context, context, context. And that's not to say there aren't other rules, there are, but the context, understanding where a particular verse falls is super important for understanding what it means, both for the original audience, the original reading audience, and us today. And so first we're going to look at Paul. So Paul is the author of this letter to this church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul was an apostle. He, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Emmaus. Uh, he, he planted churches. He was going throughout the Mediterranean world spreading the gospel. Uh, he had a pretty rough life. He went from persecuting the church to spreading the church throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, and so Paul is our author, and he's writing to a church in Ephesus. So Ephesus was a city. Uh, it was like the fifth largest in Rome at that point. It's pluralistic, meaning that there's many competing different ideas, particularly when it comes to faith. It was pagan, very pagan culture, very pagan. Uh, it was commerce-driven. A lot was happening. It was a good-sized city. And it was a small Christian community in which Paul was writing to. And so I think we like to, we like to think of these Middle Eastern cities, uh, these Mediterranean cities that we see in the Bible, as kind of dusty Eastern Oregon-type cities, towns. When in reality, this city in Ephesus was probably closer to Eugene than we like to often think. Paul's writing to a very small community in a city similar to Eugene. Uh, so why was Paul writing this letter? He was writing because he had helped plant this church. He spent three years with this church. And he was writing to them to encourage them to be in Christ and in the body, which is the title for today's sermon, In Christ and Emphasis in the Body. So one other thing as I was doing the research for this this week is that uh, but at the end of my process, I'll go to sermons and listen to different preachers who I respect uh, teach on this text. And so I went and I was listening to them, and I listened to a couple in particular. And the, the, the conclusion I came to was that depending on where your church is in its history, it's going to sound very different, the preaching. So I listened to a preacher who founded a church, 50-year-old church. He's had people that were 16 years old in that church that are now grandparents. And so that message sounded very different from another sermon I listened to from a, a pastor who came in and revitalized the church in the last 20 years. And so with that said, GCC, we're five years old. We're in a different place. And so a lot of what I'm saying today is very particular to this body. So uh, our outline for today, first point, uh, in him in him. We're going to take a brief look at this idea of being in him in Christ, which is a theme throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, second point will be leadership in the body, and that will be on verse 11. So leadership in the body. Third point, growth in the body. 
That's verses 12 and 14, 12 to 14. And then for uh, our fourth point, love in the body. So the first point will be kind of an overarching of what's happening in the book. The last three will be our text for today. And it's all about what's happening in the body in the church. So uh, when we look at this idea, first point, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, we often, we, we see this and it, it, it comes up over and over and over in this book. Whenever we're reading the Bible and we see things that are threads that run throughout something, note it. Uh, what does this mean? What does being in Christ mean? So this is to the believer. This is to those who have been transformed by Christ, those who follow Christ. And so being in him, essentially, it's like being fused, being under the covering of, we are made one in a sense with Jesus. And we are given assurance. We're given assurance of our election, of our calling, of our regeneration, of being justified before Christ, being adopted. These are all big words. These are all big churchy words. If you'd like to talk about them after, I would love to. I know it's really, it sucks when pastors come up and say big words and we don't know what they mean. I've timed myself today. I was at about an hour, so I don't have the time to unpack all of these words. Um, just so you know, I have about eight more words on here that I'm not going to say. So there's all these things that we are assured in and we're assured in them through the gospel. We are in Christ by the power of the gospel, the gospel being the good news, the gospel being the good news. And so that's to you, believer. You are assured in your place in Christ, in him. Uh, I want to speak briefly to those who might not be believers in here uh, and just kind of tell you what this gospel is. What is this good news? And so essentially it's Jesus lived, he died, and he was resurrected. He lived a human life just like you and I. He understands what it is like to be a human. I think about the emotions that we go through. This week we were praying in the church offices and there were three fathers in that office praying for something happening in this church. And it got emotional. It got real. We were weeping for this church. Christ gets it. He is there. He knows what it's like to be a human. But he died. And he died on the cross. Uh, he died so that we might know him. He died to pay our debt. If we rewind to the, the story of Adam and Eve, we see that man is separated from God by sin. The kids this week, they're learning about sin. They're in Genesis. They're in the third week of Genesis. They're learning about sin and how it separates us from God. And so Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he dies. So that that gap between us and God will be bridged. See, he was without sin. We are with sin separating us. He did not have that sin and he sacrificed himself so that we could be with Jesus and know Jesus and know God. And so at this point, if Jesus just dies, it's, he's like every other person, but he is resurrected. Essentially what the resurrection is, is God the Father accepting the payment from Christ the Son for us to come and be know God again. So that's essentially the gospel. And if, 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 if that's something that you do not believe, uh, I would love to talk to you. Ronnie would love to talk to you after this. Jake's in the back. He would love to talk to you about what this gospel means. And we would love to have those conversations. So um, my challenge for you this week with this in him, in Christ language is to read Ephesians. Get into Ephesians today. It takes about 25 minutes. Sit down, read through Ephesians, 
And note every time it says in Christ, in him, it happens a couple times in our text for today. So that's my challenge to you. So we are, we are built up in Christ and then in the church. So a second point, leadership in the body. We get to Ephesians 4.11 and it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and the teachers. First, we need to note that he gave, that he gave. The he here is Jesus. Jesus gives these offices as a gift to the church. Uh, now, we want to differentiate between apostles and the prophets and the second two. Now, if you notice, it says shepherd, teachers, those, uh, I think, all go together. That's one office. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers. The apostles and the prophets were are offices that do not exist today. They were in place to build up the early church. Uh, we can be apostolic. We can be prophetic. But those offices have passed. They were there to build the foundation. We have a couple guys in our congregation who are in construction. How many times do you lay the foundation of a house? Once. You lay the foundation and then you build the house. You don't have to go back unless it's laid poorly, which it was not laid poorly by the apostles and the prophets. Uh, you can also think of it this way. Uh, it's kind of like a constitutional convention. The apostles and prophets went, they built up, they produced this early church of which we are now heirs, and then they went back into their communities. Uh, so that's the apostles, that's the prophets. The apostles themselves uh, they were ones who had met Jesus. They were sent ones. Literally, that's what it means. They were sent to build the church, to lay the foundation. And so we see in the New Testament, we see these apostles moving around in different networks. And they're popping around to different churches, Paul in particular. And they're making sure that all of these churches were on the same page. They're all on the same page. And so that was kind of the role of the apostles. The prophets, uh, was the, prophet, the role of the prophet was to proclaim truth. Uh, we can still be prophetic today, but not in the sense that we see here. So that's the apostles and the prophets. Next, we see the evangelists and the shepherd teachers. Uh, when, we, when, we, when we talk about the evangelist, we think of probably Billy Graham. We think of someone who's up in front, itinerant, preaching the gospel to large crowds. I think of like a George Whitfield who uh, was an 18th century uh, itinerant preacher. Uh, there, he was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards and Benjamin Franklin. Franklin actually went to see him once because didn't he didn't believe that this man could preach in the open air to 20,000. And Benjamin Franklin went to Philadelphia and uh, Whitfield was preaching on the stairs of the courthouse. And Franklin stood at the back and he continued to step back further and further and further. And then he calculated what he, how many people he thought could be reached by Whitfield's just speaking. And he calculated about 30,000. Crazy. Now that is intimidating. That's intimidating for a lot of us. Some of us, that's easy. We can get up and preach it. For others, that's really intimidating. I like to think of um, the evangelist as more of a, it's a bigger office. There's more happening here. Uh, it's not just that itinerant preacher, though it is. Um, we see 
We see it in our lives. I think of my buddy Sal. Sal and I met on the chairlift in June Mountain uh, in California when he was 17 years old in 2008. Sal and I uh, became friends over, you know, shared interests in Reformed theology and the hip-hop group Beautiful Eulogy. And so we became really good friends, and we kept up with each other, and we both moved to San Diego at the same time. And Sal was a barber, and so I drove down to get a haircut one day at, at Raymond's Barber Shop. And I slip into this little two-chair shop in North Park, San Diego, and there's Sal. Just, he, he doesn't know I'm in the room. I'm behind him. He's, his back's turned, and he's just preaching the gospel to a kid getting a mohawk. He's just preaching it. You can go look at my Facebook. There's actually a picture on my Facebook of, I, that I took of him, and he was not happy. But um, with all that to say, there's, there's, there's these different... There's, different, there's a range within this evangelist in being evangelistic. And so Mark Middleberg has come up with this list of different ways in which people are, can be evangelists and be an evangelist to their culture. And so he talks about bold. That's the up in front of everyone preaching the gospel, the, the Billy Graham. He talks about invi- invitational. That's the person who can't, can't hold back from inviting people to come to church and bringing them into community. Intellectual. That's when we go to Pint Pot and we talk about theology over a beer. We get into the intellectual piece of what it means to be a Christian. That's, there's also the befriender. I think of my wife, Robin, when I think of this one, because she is just so magnetic. She brings people in. She makes friends with people so easily. There's the personal, which is me. Like I want to build relationships with people, and that's where I end up sharing the gospel most frequently. There's the explainer. This is the person who can just explain with clarity the gospel. And there's a whole, there's there's a few more on this list, but we don't have the time today to get into it. But I just want to ask, do you fit into any of these categories? If you're going to be evangelistic, how, how can you do that in your context, in your culture, and the way that God has built you in particular? So God gives us, the evangelist to build up the church, we'll get into. He also gives us the shepherd teacher. Shepherd teacher. Uh, I, I lived in Mammoth Lakes, California, which is in the Eastern Sierra. All of my friends were rock climbers, obviously not built to climb rocks. Um, and, but but I would, they would come back from these, these outings and they would tell these crazy stories. So they come back one night or one day. They had gone out the night before. They drove out to this... Uh, really isolated area east of where we were in Nevada. Uh, Beautiful slab of granite to climb. They went out the night before so they could get up early before the sun hit it and they could climb it. They go to sleep. They find this nice spot. They they camp. They go to sleep. They wake up and they're surrounded by sheep. They're like, how did this happen? None of us woke up. We're surrounded by sheep. And the shepherd comes and he, he ends up interacting with them. And it's a beautiful picture. Like the shepherd loved these sheep. He had been with them for weeks and they would stand at his command. They would sit at his command. And so we see this idea of shepherd in the Bible as it's a pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd. It's kind of the same group biblically. Uh, it is the same group biblically. Uh, you can, if you want to look, Acts 20, 17, Titus 1, 5, 1 Peter 5, 2, uh, 5, 1 and 2, we'll kind of give that up, back that up. But they're interchangeable. These are all interchangeable offices. And when, we, when 
Ronnie comes up and says he's a pastor. He's also an elder. It's a pastor elder. And so I know that I've had some, there have been some confusion about that office and what that looks like at GCC. Um, and so that's pastor, elder, shepherd, all interchangeable. So if I'm saying them, all interchangeable here. Uh, at GCC, what we do see is, is, is a plurality of elders. What that means is there's more than one. So right now, Jake is in the process of becoming an elder. Ronnie's an elder. Rick's an elder. Um, what then, though, are the role of those elders in this church? What are the roles of the shepherd? The shepherd, is, the shepherd imagery is very helpful because it does run throughout Scripture. We see it in Ezekiel. We see it in John. We see it in Kings. The, there's, a three, there's three real roles that that shepherd has for the church. The first is to protect, to protect from wolves coming in, to feed the church through the teaching of the word, and then finally to guide the church through the word, through good resources, through programs. I mean, we, we just hired Brad as our executive pastor. One of his roles is to love and shepherd through the building of programs and guiding us through programs and such. Uh, a word real quickly to those that may feel called to this role. I think it's a good thing to aspire to do elder work. I was having a conversation with uh, one of the guys in this congregation not long ago with hitting golf balls, and he, he aspires to be an elder, and I love that. My point of application, though, would be for men who aspire to be elders, you should be doing elder work right now. You should be functioning in these ways. You should be teaching. You should be feeding the people. You should be guiding the people in the word. So, so we have these two offices. We've got the evangelist and the shepherd teacher that operate today in the church. And they're given to us for the third point, growth in the body. They're given to us with a specific purpose to grow the body. So uh, verses 12 through 14 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the why for the shepherds and the evangelist is to equip the people. And we see there's four, four ways that they're equipped. They're equipped, or four, they're equipped for ministry. So we all have our roles here. We're equipped to do ministry. Ministry means to care for. When we see Jesus coming back from being in the wilderness, the angels minister to him. They care for him. So we have a job here as the church. We're to care for one another. We're to care for Christ's body. And this is a heart attitude of service. This is not to check something off a list. This should flow out of us because we love the body. So the shepherds are to build us up in ministry. They're also to build up the body through teaching. So teaching should be transformative, not informative. Though teaching does inform. When I'm up here telling you about Ephesus, it informs. But if I never get to the transformed heart piece, then I have missed out on building up the body. So how does this transform us? How does this change us? How does God's word change the body and grow the body? Next, we see that the shepherds are to equip for unity, for unity. 
This whole section of scripture is about church unity. I think this is really important today because there are people in this room who have vastly different opinions on politics, on COVID, on masks. But we can all come around one thing, and that's the gospel and Jesus, and be the church together. And then finally, for maturity. The shepherds are to bring us to maturity. I don't, we never reach that full maturity on this side of heaven. However, that's something we do need to strive for. Paul also goes on to say danger, danger. One of the ways that we can trip up in, in being equipped is by following bad doctrine. Uh, there, there's this saying, doctrine divides, mission unites. And I think that that is a partially false statement. I think mission does unite. I don't think doctrine should divide the church. It should divide, though. It doesn't divide the church, but it does separate, make a separation between the church and the world. So having a conversation, uh, we had a men's breakfast a few weeks ago, and there was a conversation that was had where um, there, was, there was someone there who was like, coming to church is super awkward. I don't really like coming. It's weird. I feel like there's a stumbling block. Like, yes, you're not a Christian. This guy's not a Christian. And it, it, we often try to, like, some of the guys that were trying to fix that problem, I don't think we fix that problem. If we, it's not a problem that's fixable. It is a reality that doctrine that is built on Jesus and the Bible as its center is going to cause division, a division between church and the rest of the world. Um, and that's another role of the shepherds is to teach right doctrine to the church. The application for, for this piece would be to just get into good books. Ask Rick. Rick is really good. He'll tell you who to read and who not to read. He is very blunt about that. Uh, really get in and start to study what good doctrine actually looks like. What is good doctrine? What's bad doctrine? What are the, the historical heresies in the church um, that we see? And that brings us to our final point, uh, love in the body. So we see, we've seen uh, being in Christ, we're in Christ, we're in him. Uh, we see that God gives us leaders for the church. Uh, we see that we are to be equipped for ministry and to be under right doctrine. Uh, now we move into to this idea of love. And so it says in verses 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So first, Jesus is the head here. He's the boss. He's in charge. Uh, but we do have a job here. Um, and our job is to build up the body in love. Um, no matter if we have those doctrinal differences, to come together in love. I know Ronnie took some class. Ronnie's at Western. I went to Western Seminary. Um, I think Ian took some classes there as well. Uh, one of the, the things I really appreciated about being in the seminary experience at Western is that they really model how to come together in love when you have differences of opinion. And I just, I just loved that. And I think that's a beautiful thing as we see the body working together. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this as well. Uh, the body having many members, uh, but the members have this care for one another. They love one another. They rejoice together. 
And so having the body working together, I think is something beautiful. I coach, I coach, uh, I'm a basketball coach, but I obviously didn't play basketball in college given my size, I threw shot put. Uh, and so there's this thing that happens in the shot put discus hammer world where everything, hap everything comes together sometimes. I think of the world champions, or not the world championships, the trials that happened. And Ryan Crozier, the shot putter, set the world record. And if you talk to him, if you were able to sit down with him, what I bet he would say is everything kind of came together. It almost felt easy. It was beautiful. And that's what we're, we're, we're seeing here with this section is that, that, that as, as the body comes together, as we are all on mission, same direction, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so I would also challenge, challenge us to, 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 to love one another well for the reason of what it looks like to the world. So um, in John 13, uh, it says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, Jonathan Lehman in this book, which I highly recommend, we will have free copies of it in a few weeks. Rediscover Church says, uh, notice that Jesus doesn't say that non-Christians will know we are his disciples by our love for them. Though that's also true. He says they'll know by our love for one another. By our love for one another. Interesting, isn't it? And so as we come together in unity, we're not going to agree on everything. But we are going to agree as the church that Jesus is the foundation. That Jesus is the good news, the gospel, is something that we can all agree on. And we can come together in humility and move forward as the body. And that's a beautiful thing. So we can, we can be the hands and the feet. And so as I conclude, um, I just want to give you guys one, one practical way that I think you can do this. Uh, one practical way that we can orient our hearts to be the church, to love one another, to stand on good doctrine, to honor our leaders. And that's that we would just come to this place on Sundays, this gathering of the church, church not being the building, but being the people, and that we would, we would come together prayerfully. I think of my wife, Robin. She, has, she tells this story of when she moved here. She's from Canada. Uh, she moved here for a job at UO. She didn't know anyone. She didn't know no one. And she went to church the first Sunday, and she prayed, Lord, put me next to someone. Lord, open my heart. Lord, sh show me a friend. And so she came in to church with a prayerful heart. And she sat behind um, who is now her best friend. They have been friends for seven years. We hung out with them on Friday. We love them so much. They're a part of a different church body in town. But it... it the way that my wife walked into church, I would challenge you as you come into church, be prayerful. That's not my idea. That came from this book, which is a free book that we have in the back. If you want, I believe it's free. It's free now. Since I said it's free from up here. So if you guys want a copy of this book, it talks, Tony Payne talks about coming into the church in a prayerful, with a, with a prayerful orientation. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for today. Um, we just thank you for this body. 
Um, we thank you that you have given yourself to the body, that we can be in you in Christ through the gospel. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the leaders in our church. Lord, we pray that, that you will be with them. We know that, that leading and being an elder shepherd can be lonely. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with our leaders now. Um, Lord, we pray for the teaching of right doctrine. We pray that we would wrestle with what your word says and what we teach from the front and in this church would always be founded on your word. Lord, I also pray that we would come together in love, uh, that we would love one another despite our differences, despite our disagreements, but that we would love one another and come together in agreement and standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, finally, Lord, I just pray that we would, we would go from here and be a loving community here in Eugene. Lord, I pray that we can glorify you in everything that we do and enjoy you, Lord, forever. In your son's name we pray. Amen.